a new bond, a huge dam, bungee jumping, a chemical weapons plant, Russia, 006, a motorcycle jump, and yes, a new era of Bond. Let's dive into the pre-title sequence of the 1995 Bond movie, GoldenEye. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. Tom Pizzano. I'm Vicky Hodges. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Let's jump in. <laughs> the gun barrel circle opens up to reveal a biplane flying over a huge dam. I love the shadow of the plane on the side of the dam as it flies over the dam, casting its shadow just to the right of the middle of the dam. It focuses our attention there for just a moment. It's a nice touch. And... It had to be the right time of day for that shot with the sun and everything. So that was a great way to start. Then we see the gates opening, obviously giving access to the top of the dam, a few seconds before the running man approaches the gates. Now, how they opened, we don't know. <laughs> Maybe an electronic device the runner had to open the gates? I don't know. They opened conveniently for him. <laughs> I don't know how. It's a bad movie. Things like that happen conveniently. <laughs> yeah. And a figure dressed all in black, is running down top of the dam. At first, you only see him run through the gates from the knees down, adding more mystery to the scene. But now we see him racing on the top of the dam with something slung over his shoulders. Who is this guy? He has clearly been dropped off by the plane. Well, we assume that there was the plane, though we don't really know how that happened. We didn't see him parachuting out or anything. We see him approaching the center of the dam, Still can't tell who he is, and he stops at some railings mid-center, and he clips a harness to it with a carabiner, and another to the metal braces on his boots. Okay, are we intrigued yet? <laughs> I am for sure. We then get an amazing camera pan that clearly shows the sheer size of the dam itself. Yeah. This is the Contra Dam located in Switzerland, and it was constructed between 1961 and 1965 and was designed by Giovanni Lombardi one of the world's most prolific civil engineers. Yeah, and this dam, it's not only tall, but wow, it's a wide dam. I mean, the crest, I guess they measure it by the crest, and it's about 1,220 feet or 380 meters. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big dam. And the dam is also known as the Versasca Dam. Now, this is damn crazy. It's also known as... <laughs> so, it's, it's also, it's, I had to. It's also known as the Locarno Dam. I mean, can't they make up their damn minds about what's call the damn thing? Okay, let's get back to it. So this guy's standing on top of the dam. He's connected by this cable and that clip you talked about. Yeah. Now, this guy's not going to do what we think he's going to do here, is he? What do you think that is, Tom? What do you think? You know, like, because, <laughs> you know, it's something I'd do. Like launching himself <laughs> off this thing by a bungee. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> oh, yes. And this amazing stunt was performed by stuntman Wayne Michaels in one take. 220 meters, that's 721 feet down. And the Oxford University bungee jump team were used as consultants in planning such a dangerous stunt. They had their doubts. It's never been done before. So close to sheer concrete. You're jumping into the unknown. <laughs> that yeah. would be frightening. Yeah, there, there's not enough money in this world to pay me to get me to do this stunt. I mean, no. I've talked about my lack of love for heights in earlier episodes. I, I'm sure I'd have a coronary halfway down. Yeah. But. It is one of my favorite stunts in all of the Bond series. And, I, you know, Wayne Michaels is just nuts to, for doing that for the first <laughs> yes, time. Yes, he is. You know, and he did it for the first time. Now anybody can go and yeah. pay into it. And right. I think they're nuts. Right. 
You two go right ahead if you want to. I'll take pictures. Yeah. No, I'm not going to be jumping that either, but my no. daughter got me my daughter got me the zip line with her in Haiti and we started off 700 feet up off the ground running parallel with the beach about 20 yards into the ocean and we're 700 feet up. So I was like, well, that was a little scary and it was a half mile long. It was the longest zip line in the world at that time. It was over a half a mile long. And we're 700 feet up. So that, that was a, that was scary. And I was telling the guy, I can't swim. Should we have life preservers on? The guy says, if the line snaps, you'll die. What are you kidding? You're 700 feet in the air. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm ready. Let me go. That's okay, <laughs> All right. Now, 10,000 people, like you said, Tom, anybody could go jump off the dam now on a bungee cord. All right. 10,000 people have done it. And 10,000 people have survived. So that's pretty good. That's a good record. I, I think one or two of our colleagues from the JBR group they had jumped off that. Yeah, they did that. They did a side trip after the big... Um, yeah, uh, not OHMSS. me. Yeah. Vicki, you're going to do it? I like roller coasters. That's about as much for me. A bit too. <laughs> I, I have my limits. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't blame you. So what I like about this scene is that the noise just stops and we have complete silence as he falls. It's just a heart-stopping moment, mm -hmm. made all the more so by that lack of sound. You just get that rush of wind noise. Yeah. And the bungee rope only takes the man in black so far, so he has to use a piton gun to reel himself down to the floor level. Yeah, yeah that's good. I mean, the lack now, of... I, I would want it to stop short. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the lack of sound here is a very effective tool. And it, just like the, in the pre-title sequence to The Spy Who Loved Me, when Bond skis off the 2,000-foot cliff, the sound stops immediately. And there, too, you're looking like, ooh, it, you're focused now. Everybody is focused on this guy flying off this 2,000-foot cliff. So that was pretty good. That was in 1977. But here, yeah, the sound effects, just the wind and the clank of the bungee. I love the clank of the bungee catching at the nadir of his jump like that word nadir wow yeah i don't know if that applies to bungee <laughs> jumping <laughs> and yeah to the piton gun uh, that uh, that was a cool surprise at the end that that was kind of cool <laughs> yeah that it was pretty cool the way he did that and the thing for me is we still don't know who this guy is no we know there's a new bond we don't know if this guy's the new bond no right and so then we get this shot of his piercing blue eyes, yeah. pardon the pun, as he lasers <laughs> through this panel Is that in the a floor. Hint? Yeah, there's a little <laughs> hint. Right. And then we get the subheader up here on the screen that says Archangel Chemical Weapons Facility, USSR. Yeah. So they're establishing yeah. that we're in USSR, but we all know that we're in Switzerland yeah. um, where they filmed this. But you really have to love this movie magic. I mean, Vicky, you said this this dam's in Switzerland, right? Yet they're yeah, telling yes, us it's in Russia. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. And hey, this this slow reveal, Tom, this is right up your alley. You like that kind of thing. Absolutely. New Bond, this. we don't know who he is yet. We don't know who this guy is. Cool. All right. And so we then cut to a gent's toilet area with soldiers using the facilities. Uh, we, we don't exactly see exactly what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> nor, do we, nor do we want he's to. Sit, he's sitting on the toilet there. <laughs> and we follow one guy as he enters a cubicle. Well, I mean, the camera does, all right? We don't want to sound creepier. The camera follows this guy, and so we're we're brought along with the camera, 
All right, that's all. We then cut to a downward shot through a grate of the soldier sitting on the toilet with the newspaper. Now, I wish I could read Russian because yeah. I, would, I would love to know what the article yeah. headline, the heading meant that he's reading. Because sometimes they put funny stuff mm-hmm. in these these writers. But I, I, I don't read Russian, although I will a little later. <laughs> it would be cool to know. Anyway, the grate is moved, and we see a dark shape looking down at him. He has no idea, this guy on the toilet, that he's being spied on. We then have a great angle from the soldier's point of view, as though we are sitting there with him. (laughs) As he slowly moves the paper to reveal a man hanging upside down in front of him. And this hanging upside down man has this great opening line. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. And he knocks the soldier out. It kind of has a, a Spider-Man feel to it. I mean, now, it was one <laughs> heck of an introduction to the new Bond. We finally see his face as he's hanging upside down. But, I mean, his face is almost in the soldier's crotch with the way they look. <laughs> no, 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 no. They were pretty careful. They were pretty careful about that, Tom. No, his face was even with the face of the Russian soldier. They weren't okay. going to put his face, this new Bond, in <laughs> His face in the crotch of a Russian soldier. I'm uh, sorry. It was pretty cool. But anyways, <laughs> it's an introduction in a toilet, which is pretty funny. That and is funny. we're still not positive who he is. I mean, you know, this is now we don't new, know. a slow reveal. Yeah, it is. And so this man in black is now loose within the facility. He then hurries down the steps, ducks into corners, hoping to not be seen. Yeah. We hear Russian military music playing, and there's a room full of soldiers. Mm-hmm. And some kind of a recreational canteen type room, something like that. Yeah. And it looks like a dangerous situation for this man in black to be in. Yeah. Okay. This kind of thing always bothers me about Bond or whoever is knocking out a guy to gain critical access to an area. You would think a well-trained spy and assassin would then kill the guy to make sure that he doesn't wake up and sound an alarm, maybe further incapacitate him to prevent that. But we don't see that here, or virtually or virtually ever, really. It just seems risky. You know, you're a killer, you're an assassin, you're going to kill people a, million, a lot in a, just a little while. Hey, you just took care of this guy, kill him. Well, now, I maybe he the, did. I think the goal is not to kill anybody, but you can only kill when you need to. Yeah, it didn't bother he 006 wasn't, in He a wasn't in th- a threat at that moment. <laughs> didn't bother 006 in the moment. <laughs> All right. But anyway, it just seems odd to me. You would take that risk to jeopardize your mission with not taking care of that guy. All right. Indeed, our man in black, after some careful sneaking around the facility, is suddenly held at gunpoint by a shadowy figure who speaks urgently in what we believe to be Russian tongue. Mm -hmm. The man in black speaks back in English. I'm alone. Aren't we all? You're late, 007. I have to stop in the bathroom. It is here that we establish that our man in black is indeed Bond, and the other guy is 006, clearly on a mission. Now, I wonder how 006 got into the facility. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Bond's entrance was dramatic, but we have no idea how 006 got in. No, and he got there early because Bond. Bond was late. They can, they can only pay to do a certain number of stunts. <laughs> I love when Bond says, I'm alone, and 006 says, aren't we all? Because I think that is insightful 
into the life of a spy. And I think 006 was telling us that. It's a, it's a dramatic moment, I think, that is easy to miss and easy to pass over as just another line. But I think there he's telling us this life of a spy thing is pretty tough. We're all kind of alone. And I, I think that was great. I also like when 006 asks Bond if he's ready to save the world again. Ready to save the world again? After you, 006. Clearly putting 006 in charge in this scene. But I have a question. <laughs> Is this the first time we see two 00 agents actually working together on a mission? I mean, we had three in the living daylights in 1987, but they were on a training mission. And we had 009 in Octopussy in the pre-title, but it wasn't really working on a mission with 007 at the moment. So I, I think this may okay. be... Uh, this is a little stretchy, Dan, with what I'm going to say here. But in Thunderball, there is that big conference room where everybody gets briefed about the theft of the nuclear warheads. Remember yeah, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. And now that everybody's here seen. So yeah. technically all the double O's were working together. But, I mean, I get your point because you don't see them interacting. No, you don't see them in action together. So I think maybe this might be the first time, which mm -hmm. is kind of cool. I actually would like to see more of that. And I think they should have done that with uh, Lashana Lynch in the next movie with Bond, James Bond. But we don't know what will happen. <laughs> anyway. I don't really give a damn what will happen. <laughs> so Sean being a well-known British actor who portrays 006 actually auditioned for the role of Bond, but producers actually thought that he was more suited to the role of 006 Alex Trevelyan. Yeah, I, I must say, I really like Sean Bean in the role of 006, but I also think he could have been a good Bond. He has a very tough and rough edge to him, which I think would have been perfect. Nine years later in National Treasure, he was a perfect villain. It, that was 2004. He was cast as the bad guy, and I admit, though, he, he really is great here as Alec Trevelyan, though. I think he's flawless. Great, great. Well, what's, what's great about it is it's 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 a role that is he's was the good guy with the the double o six, who yeah. we find out later turns bad. Yeah. But that's kind of cool. Yeah. Now, by the way, we're always curious why screenwriters and producers name characters what they do. So we looked up Trevelyan, <laughs> and there are a lot of them, including Sir Charles Trevelyan, who was a British civil servant in the early eighteen hundreds. So I was thinking, oh, well, maybe they're just throwing mm -hmm. in. That guy bone. But <laughs> there's a John Trevelyan, and he was the secretary of the board of the British Board of Film Censors from 1958 <laughs> to 1971. <laughs> and okay. coincidence? I don't think so. He was not very kind in his critique of the early James Bond movies. So <laughs> many believe, and I do, that this is the reason the name Trevelyan is here in Goldeneye. Yeah. Let's make him the bad guy. Let's make him the bad guy. Yeah. That's yeah. Now, you know, this is Sean Bean, and you know, Game of Thrones fans are going to remember him as Ned Stark as well. So, oh, yeah. if you, you know, if you grew up and you were a Game of Thrones fan, you hadn't, you're new to the Bond stuff. The guy who played Ned Stark, this is Alex Trevelyan here. So. I got a little bit of extra here. It's a bit of an in joke, but no other actor has died on screen more than Sean Bean. The deaths <laughs> are always dramatic and violent in nature and memorable. And I suppose it's because he's got such a, a prolific back catalogue. 
He dies about uh, about twenty five times in all in, wow. in his films. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> although 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 over recent years. This has slowed down. Maybe it's because he's getting older or he's fed <laughs> up of the hype, but it is a bit of an in-joke across the net that he's always dying in the end of his films <laughs> in various glorious ways. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, who was so close to getting the role after Roger Moore retired in 1985, was caught up in a legal contract with Remington Steel Producers, a series that he'd been part of for five years. Yeah. So the part went to actor... Timothy Dalton in 1987. And we roll on six years, and Pierce was given a second chance to land the role he so desperately wanted. Yeah, he enjoyed it. Mm. He enjoyed it. Well, I mean, Remington Steel was pretty much, I mean, it wasn't a government agency, but he pretty much was playing the role of Bond in that TV. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he took a lot of Remington Steel's uh, yeah. persona to, to his Bond mm -hmm. role as Roger Moore took the Saint to his role as Bond. All right, so now these two agents, 006 and 007, make their way into this laboratory, and we see a lab worker inside this room. 006 shoots him while Bond disarms the, another door. Now, I love when Sean Bean, as 006 shoots him, you can see his eyes just grimace a second, a split second when he fires the trigger. <laughs> I love that. He probably was, it was probably real from the sound. He's probably oh, going, like that. but you could see it for a split second. And I, and I thought, well, that adds a nice dimension to that scene so now on this door that bond is disarming there are like four words written in what looks to be russian kind of like the russian newspaper we couldn't read and this is supposed to be in russia this whole thing right so i bring up a russian keyboard and i key in the exact letters that are on the door <laughs> and they and i copy and paste them into a translator and here it says Entrance, strictly bypass. Entrance, strictly bypass. Probably by password because he typed in something in the code, some code in that keypad, remember? So, wow. All right, this is a nice piece of screenplay work here and prop work because it really is Russian and it says something meaningful. So I thought that was pretty cool. Hey, Dan, that was some really good research. <laughs> I, I had fun doing it because I thought, I got to see if this has, if this really says anything. In Russian. <laughs> Dan, can I just mention about what you said about um, 006 shooting the, the lab worker and the look of sort of grimace on his face? Yeah. It's interesting how he actually dealt with the person, you know, he, he came across, but Bond actually didn't. Yes. Yeah. What we were saying earlier on, he did just not, he knocked that guard out, but he actually just dealt with that, that lab worker. Yeah, you can see he's in charge. Question. Yeah, 006 <laughs> is in charge here. All right, back to Bond and 006. The two men look over a vast warehouse full of chemical barrels. And again, this is a chemical weapons plant. So Bond has an uneasy feeling about the situation. It's all too easy, he thinks. It's too easy. Half of everything is luck, James. And the other half? Fate. Set time is six minutes. Six minutes. Check. That's good. All right, I love that 006 says that everything comes down to two things in life, basically, and certainly in the spy world, right? Luck and fate. And that is how James Bond has survived in all of his missions. A lot of times, luck has played a part and a role in his surviving a mission. And fate, of course, is not only the training, his training, the lack of, of his enemies being able to shoot, 
and stuff like that. All of that is part of it too. So I love that those two elements were brought in here. And again, kind of like the other element, yeah, we're always alone. I think these two things sum up what it is to be a spy and to try to survive being a spy. All right. So the alarm goes off and 006 tells Bond to set explosive detonators for six minutes. And I like how Bond reaffirms this. All right, six minutes. It's as though we, we as the viewers need to be reminded or we need to remember this fact. And they show us Bond setting it to six minutes just in case we forget or something. And it didn't turn out to be all that important, did it? I, I yes, it does. Huh? Mm -hmm. No. Yes, it does. It does? I mean, well, he switches it to three later. Right. So interesting, again, 006 is in control here, and 007 is following orders, right? I mean, don't we all agree to that? I think that's pretty much true. 006 yeah, is so. in charge. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think it's really cool to see these agents working together. I mean, they clearly have rapport. They know each other's capabilities. And I also like how they both say for England when they start working. Yeah. It sets a level of danger for us, and it's the queen and country above all that you feel and that we see throughout the series. James, for England. For England, Alec. Yes, for England is important here because it really is foreshadowing the end of the movie, too when it's asked as a question by Trevelyan. <laughs> so it's important that it plays a role here and it plays a role really at the end of the movie. All right. And note when they're climbing up a grate, Bond goes first and then 006 comes up and then Bond waits for 006 to go first. Again, showing who's in charge here. So there you go. Hey, you know, if it was me, I'd always let the other guy go first because I'll take him first. <laughs> People are shooting at you. <laughs> You go. <laughs> no after you. Right. So, so Dan, you, you may be right here. They, you know, they dispatch numerous guards with precision, yeah. and the, I like the music here. I mean, it sounds like the James Bond theme is being played on timpani. I don't know if that's really what it was mm -hmm. done on, but it sounded that way. It was a different tonal quality to the James Bond theme than we usually hear. So that was very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So, anyways, we see the arrival of a heavily decorated military man played by the late German actor, Godfrey John. Now, we don't actually find out his name until later in the movie, mm -hmm. and it's General Oromov. He's a traditionalist in his ways. He instructs the increasing number of soldiers to shoot at a glass window obstructing the sentry. So it shatters, and they get more gunfire from 006, while Bond is offsetting the detonators to six minutes. Again, remember the six minutes, because he ends up cutting the time in half later. More soldiers enter, and Bond says to Alex, shut the door, there's a draft, but he gets silence. Bond knows something's wrong here. And like you said, Dan, here's another example of how close 006 and 007 are. Yeah. Because as this is happening, 006 yells, Closing time, James! Let's go! Buy me a pint! Which I love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is cool dialogue during a critical time. It shows you how cool these guys are under pressure. Now, as the general soldiers are shooting through the obviously bulletproof glass, it takes a lot of rounds of ammo to get the window to break and for them to crash through it. Now, this is just a question. If the bullets are not penetrating the glass initially, 
aren't they bouncing off the glass? And would all of these soldiers been injured or killed? I looked around on this, and there are statistics about this. Straight on, the glass absorbs the hits and bullets like a bulletproof vest would. But at any kind of an angle, the ricochet effect increases, and it looks like they are all firing on angles. Just It's just a thought, but... <laughs> They could have been killing themselves. It could have been like a spoof. <laughs> Dan, it's all movie magic. <laughs> yeah, I think they would have been dead. <laughs> well, uh, so amidst the steam and the huge barrels, Bond can see 006 held at gunpoint by the military man. Finish the job, James. Blow them all to hell. He's instructed to throw down his weapon and come out. Bond ducks out of sight and changes the detonation time from six minutes to three. And he throws down his weapon and walks out towards the soldiers and 006 yells, For England, James! But 006 is shot dead anyway. Now the guards all start shooting wildly and it's here we find out that the barrels contain nerve gas and it's all highly explosive. And Bond is clearly shaken by the loss of his fellow agent and friend. And he uses this knowledge to his advantage and slowly wheels out a trolley containing some of the barrels in which he hides behind. Yeah. And this, the military man, seems impressed, actually, with Bond's idea. Yeah, he kind of has that little smirk on his face. Like, Look, yeah. wow, that's kind of <laughs> clever. <laughs> yeah, so he comes out, it's, it's, it's where five, his hands are up. The general continues the countdown and shoots 006 anyways. Yeah, I'm wondering, why is that? Yeah, ex- exactly, because it's like, wait, I came out, and... Shooting 006, I get it. He was going to do that anyways, but continuing the countdown as though Bond didn't come out was kind of weird. Yeah. yeah, I mean, clearly he's there and his hands are up. Yeah. And even after he shoots him for a split second, you see him standing on the right side of the screen with his hands up. Yeah. It was so, it was kind of kind of weird, but Yeah, I don't get But that. as we find out later, 006 has to quote unquote die here right? <laughs> yeah. and let Bond see it. But the thing that I love about this scene, we talked about the lack of sound or the wind sound or whatever during the, the bungee jump, but the sound of this squeaking cart as it's <laughs> moved across, it kind of had a Hitchcockian feel to me, the way that Hitch would have done this, yeah. in that squeaking as this cart's moving, and every squeak is just adding more to the suspense of what's going to happen, squeak, what's going to happen, something's got to happen, squeak, what's going <laughs> to it's yeah. got to happen, squeak. Yeah. And it's just, oh, I just totally love that. Yeah, kind of like in the squeaking shoes <laughs> and sabotage. All right, but of course, something's got to go wrong here, even though he's uh, pushing the squeaky cart. It's a pre-title sequence, and you know, we got to be drawn in even more. So I think we are, right? Pretty damn good pre-title sequence so far. So far, yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So one of the guards, he gets an itchy finger, and he tries to shoot at Bond. But boom, he's killed instantly by the higher ranking officer Ormov, for his stupidity bond turns on the track like this conveyor belt kind of thing and he jumps onto it it's kind of a track climbing you see at airports for luggage and stuff like that one of those and he fires at the barrels causing them all to topple down on the soldiers i mean brilliant shooting by bond. amazing shot oh, on his he, back he boom, boom, such boom. a good shot yeah yeah beautiful <laughs> now just a thought Bond can shoot with all these barrels of nerve gas around, <laughs> and he's not worried. <laughs> he's shooting like crazy. And all the battle that was taking place before had bullets flying all over the place. 
but but you know not not worried. Hmm, I, I don't know. Generally though, Bond is a good shot. So it's his enemies who can't hit the broadside of a barn from three feet away. So, <laughs> so we're gonna have to worry too much. But here's something I went back and looked at over and over again. If you look closely, Bond and Alec had hit a lot of the soldiers, but the soldiers did not fire a single shot after they broke through that window and shot it out to bulletproof glass. Other than to get through the glass, they did not shoot a single shot after that until Ormov killed the guy for shooting. So this is a nice touch because the Russians knew what was in the tanks and how volatile it was to the bullets. And, of course, Bond did too, but Bond's a good shot. So anyway, I just thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. I, I have a thought as well. Okay. He shoots at these barrels, they topple down. Now, isn't 006 lying on the floor down there? Do these barrels not land on him? Where's he? Yeah, and <laughs> and eventually <laughs> things might blow up, uh, and yeah, 006 <laughs> so, is in there. Or, so if he didn't, underneath or, the barrels? <laughs> if he didn't die from the gunshot wound, he died from falling barrels on top of him, or, or, the, or the nerve <laughs> yeah. gas. Or the explosion. Yeah. But somehow, <laughs> miraculously, <laughs> or maybe not so miraculous. So now we cut to the outside and we see an aircraft moving across a small little runway of the facility. And we see Bond exit and he's shooting. He's shooting at everybody. He's killing numerous guards. They're shooting at him. They, they can't hit him, of course, because <laughs> they just don't practice as much. Whatever. I don't know. Again, but he's killing everybody. And then the general, while Bond is starting to run away, trying to catch this plane, thinking that's his way out, get the plane, the general, while his soldiers are shooting at Bond, says, Hold your fire! Hold your fire! What? Why are you telling your soldiers, hold your fire? He's willing to watch Bond die going over a cliff on a motorcycle in a few seconds. So why not shoot him? They've been trying to shoot him before. I didn't understand that at well, was all. It they, they wanted whatever was in the plane to be able to get off, and they didn't want the plane shot. It also was eerily. No, this is, this is exactly when Bond is running away from them with his back towards them. He says right, but that. but the plane is there. So maybe the general didn't want the plane shot. Oh, yeah, I don't or, think so. You know, but the other thing is it kind of has an eerie feel to M in License to Kill after Bond jumps off the balcony. And he's like, don't shoot their people around. There's nobody around. He's in the trees. Yeah, yeah, but that's his own guy. This is yeah. the enemy. Yeah. So you would think they'd want to kill him. And he okay. says, hold your fire. Oh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get that. You're a bad general. <laughs> and he's going to do something else stupid in a minute. And I'll point it out. <laughs> I think at the time, GoldenEye took the, the record, I think, for the number of kills for Bond. It's something like 47 in GoldenEye. And I think the record before that was like 21 and you only live twice. There was a lot of killing in that movie too. But here, <laughs> Bond got a lot of his 47 here in the pre-title sequence. So he had a good head start here. <laughs> All right. And we get this panoramic shot. How many, of a, how many, how many rounds of ammunition did he have with him to be able to get those 47 kills? Uh, man, he had a lot of clips with him. He had a lot of clips. I don't know where he was keeping them. But Magaz they're, they're magazines. Magazines. He's got, he had them. I don't know. He's got a lot. 
<laughs> then we get this beautiful panoramic shot of a cliff face. Oh, boy. Not much runway here. And, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Another cliff face. I mean, we've seen a lot of cliff faces in movies, in Bond movies especially. All right, we've 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 seen quite a few. Dr. No, the hearse crashes off a cliff. The Spy Who Loved Me a couple of times. Uh, for your eyes only, and whatever. A lot of cliffs. And here's another one. <laughs> I love it. Now, <laughs> I love this film. Yeah. It is top three for me. Wow. It's nostalgic. But I do wonder about this next part. Is it realistic? <laughs> Could Bond have really ran and caught up to a an aircraft, shoot soldiers on motorbikes that were pursuing him, throw himself and the pilot out of the plane to then get on one of the abandoned motorbikes <laughs> to chase the aircraft off the cliff as he accelerates in free fall into the cockpit. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just worn out thinking about it. You know, do the way you have, said that. Uh, do we have to suspend pretty... belief for this? Come on, this is Bond. I mean, I'm not <laughs> trying this stunt. It's fairly ridiculous. But as he's diving, I think he kind of looked a lot like the bungee cord jumper. But Bond does get to control of the plane. And for a couple of seconds, just, they show us the mountain ridge and the plane's out of sight. Yeah, and as he's struggling to pull back. Boy, I love the way Vicky explained it because it sounds absolutely <laughs> ridiculous exactly what she said and how she said it. I mean, <laughs> this pushes the believability meter way over. <laughs> well, I think the, him wrestling with the with even the, the, the stick to pull the plane up after he gets in there yeah. is kind of ridiculous. Like, how was that really going to work as much as it was going back and forth. It wasn't like he was just trying to yank it backwards. It wasn't working. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, but he, he somehow, because it's Bond, he gets the thing to come up and he flies away. Yeah. And then the facility blows up because the bombs went off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We do see another facility a little bit later when Severnaya blows up. And we see another facility blow up in a big way in Spectre. And in no time, yeah, 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 finally. Yeah. So Bond likes his big explosions. Doctor no, everything. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of explosions, and you know, if you if you're a villain and you have a lair, it's probably going to blow up in a Bond movie. <laughs> but the important thing we have don't to put too much money from, into it. <laughs> the, the, the important thing we have to remember from this is there's all this danger, but even with all this danger, Bond is back. Yeah, and, yeah. I just hate pre-titles that end with such a preposterous stunt but i mean the union jack parachute opening to save bond in the spy who loved me ah, that's a whole different story that is a good one that's that's believable that's real that's like okay that's pretty cool <laughs> all right anyway okay now vicky i know you've talked about how much you like you said this is in your top three and how much you like pierce brosnan's bond mm. can you talk a little bit about Pierce taking on this role and what works for you with that, especially in this pre-title sequence, which is an introduction to the character. What if his style comes out here that sets the stage for him for the rest of the series? Mm. Okay, well, where do you want me to start? Uh, <laughs> it was an open-ended softball. I want question. to start. I want to start with. I think Brosnan gets unfairly treated as Bond, and I hope that at some point there will be a resurgence for his films. Mm -hmm. But I followed Brosnan pre-Bond, 
So I used to watch the Fourth Protocol, the Lawnmower Man, Mrs. Doubtfire, Remington Steel. So for him to be cast was, uh, for me, a, a great choice for, for him to be cast. The Brosnan Bond for me is strikingly handsome, a conveyor of action, danger. We have humour. He has a great physical presence, and it's all added with panache and charm. But I do prefer that he bulked up for the next film, Tomorrow Never Dies, as I do think he was too slim for his role in Goldeneye. But, hey, I'm very much a 90s film girl. I love the 90s. So Brosnan's Bond is just full of nostalgia for me. Okay. All right. Cool. So Mm -hmm. the pre-title ends here. And the titles rule. And it's a decent title sequence. I mean, though, it's a lot of the same kind of stuff. Silhouetted women moving around, guns firing, and the like. But there is one image of a woman's face, and she has two faces, actually. One facing left and one facing right. And in the left mouth is a cigar. And in the right mouth, a gun emerges, fires, and then goes back in. Well, well, we will come to see that the evil organization here is Janus and Janus comes from the Latin, and it is like a gatekeeper, but it's even more. The two faces of the god, one is facing in either direction, so he can see forward and backward at the same time. And that is where the name of the month of January comes from, right? Looks back to the old year, forward to the new year. And we could say the same of 006, Alec Trevelyan. He is looking back at the atrocities he sees about his family treatment by the British government in the World War II era and forward to what he's doing about it. All right. That's it for the title sequence. Pretty cool. Hang on, hang on, Dan. Hang on, Dan. Surely, surely we've got to mention Tina Turner singing the title song, Surely. It fits perfectly with the film. It's not calling me Shirley. <laughs> by Bono, it is not an aeroplane. Uh, by Bono from U2 and The Edge. Great use of strings and horns, which yeah. gives great Goldfinger throwbacks for me. And I like how it stayed close to the Bond sound, yet had its own identity, made even more so by Tina Turner's performance. It is one of my favourites in terms of of, a, of its title song. Wow. Cool. It is a good title. It is a good one. And she does a great job. You you can't go wrong with Tina Turner. All right. That's a wrap. This has been Dan Silvestri. Tom Pizzato. I'm Vicky Hodges. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movie. Subscribe to our show and our YouTube channel as well, where we have some cool spy movie videos. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.